Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Friday, January 14th, 2022. I'm Guy Benson, and this is The Guy Benson Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, we appreciate it. We are honored. Tell your friends. Let's keep growing together. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. All the ways to listen live, GuyBensonShow.com. You can also... Listen on our many great affiliates across the country through odyssey.com, our partners there, A-U-D-A-C-Y.com. Lots of options. The podcast, I will note, is always free of charge, on demand every day, all three hours. Should you miss a moment, never fear. Let not your heart be troubled, as they say. Oh, and bonus Benson on the weekends. Don't want to miss that. Here's what we have in store for you on the Friday edition, Kim Strassel of the Wall Street Journal, Fox News contributor. She'll be here later this hour. Jesse Tarloff, a new mother, and recently named one of the, I guess, quasi-permanent rotating liberals on the five. That's now official. That's exciting. We'll talk to her about those things and more. Kind of a rough week for her party. And President Biden, I wonder if she's uh, willing to admit that. We'll see. Dr. Manny Alvarez will be here later in the middle hour, our next hour, talking COVID. Are we almost through the worst of it, or are we through the worst of it? That and more for Dr. Manny. And Kat Timp will be here, so buckle up. Strap it in. Fridays with Kat. You never know how that will go, and we'll find out together, won't we? That's in the happy hour, our final hour, 5 p.m. Eastern. Fox News alert as we begin the show today. Stats on COVID, 64.1 million confirmed cases. That is much, much lower than the actual number. The death toll with or of COVID in the United States, cumulatively these numbers are, over the course of the pandemic, 845,577. The Dow is down today, down significantly, currently trading off 346 points at 35,767. We have less than an hour to go until the week wraps up and trading ends on Wall Street. We will bring you that final number for the Dow in our next hour. As we come to the air today, I've been looking forward to this. Last night, we got off the air. I had some stuff to do. We ended up going to dinner. Got back, and I was planning on doing some reading. Just to have a book and was going to read a novel But I was first scrolling through Twitter, which was kind of my mistake. If you want to go to reading, don't get your brain going on Twitter brain. But I did. And I saw a story that genuinely took my breath away on two different levels. 
And on its face, right, in a vacuum, if you just stripped away everything that you knew about politics, that's the last, what, four or five years of politics and also the last week in particular of politics, it wouldn't be anything that I would open the show with under those circumstances. But we have context here. And we have memory. We remember things from the recent past. And therefore, this story absolutely blew me away. We've been talking about Russia a little bit on the show. We had General Keen on recently on some of the panels, a special report that I've been a part of. We've been talking about this Russia buildup on the border of Ukraine. 100,000 troops, and it seems, I would say, increasingly likely that Putin is going to invade Ukraine. Again, they've already invaded Ukraine and annexed Crimea. That was a totally illegal thing. That's Ukrainian territory. The Russians have claimed it. There was a big cyber attack on the Ukrainian government today. That is an ominous sign. Seems like the uh, Russian hackers are up to their normal tricks and perhaps uh, laying the groundwork or getting the battlefield digitally prepared for this invasion, this war. If it happens. We hope it doesn't, but there are signs definitely pointing that way. Putin put 100,000 Russian troops there for a reason. And if this invasion happens, what we've heard from the Biden administration and others in the West is there will be truly catastrophic, painful sanctions placed on Russia. On a level that they have never seen before, like cutting them out of the global banking system. It'll be really bad for the Russians. And we'll see if Putin actually believes that. Is that enough of a deterrent? We're not sure. But one of the other things that could be done to punish Putin if he does this is to shut down the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, the oil pipeline that Putin desperately wants, that the Trump administration didn't allow to happen. Because we have a... It's not people like, oh, this is just Europe. This is just Germany. No. The United States has most, the most leverage of any country in the world. If we don't want that pipeline to operate, if we don't want oil to flow through that pipeline, it won't. We are the most powerful nation on earth. And under the Trump administration, that pipeline was not approved. Then Biden came in and almost immediately approved it. Now the discussion is, if, if Putin moves forward with this invasion, maybe the pipeline will get shut back down, it'll get sanctioned, or what have you. So there was a bill in the Senate. So I hope you're following me here. There was a bill in the Senate, introduced by Ted Cruz, Republican Texas, that would preemptively sanction that pipeline. Slapping uh, sanctions on this pipeline, that would be a bruising blow to Putin, not crippling like some of the other stuff that's being discussed and threatened, but it would be a statement. And it would come before, or the Senate vote theoretically would be, we're going to approve these sanctions ahead of time, now, because you've done enough to convince us that this invasion could be imminent. So here's what we're going to start to do. So there were a number of Democrats who were interested in voting for this bill. There were Democrats who were criticizing the Nord Stream pipeline, even though Biden came in and approved it, or greenlit it. We got reports a few days ago that the Biden administration, the State Department under Biden, was going around sending officials to Capitol Hill lobbying Democratic senators against 
the sanctions bill. Begging, basically, Democratic senators not to vote with Ted Cruz, not to sanction this pipeline. And they made a bunch of arguments why. It's too soon. We shouldn't do it preemptively. It would be potentially part of a huge package of sanctions. If he does it, let's not do it now. Let's not give him an excuse. Let's stay unified. They have all these reasons. right? They just had meetings where they were having negotiations, diplomacies. They're trying to go that route first. And they could say, we want to let diplomacy work. Let's not ramp up the sanctions yet. We can do that later. There are arguments that would be rational for them to make in lobbying Senate Democrats against voting for these sanctions at this point in time. I get it. You can make the arguments. There are, of course, counterpoints. We need to send the message now. Putin continues to get more aggressive. This is a debate to be had, and it was being had, and the Biden team was weighing in on the side of no to these sanctions, no to the cruise bill. Now, let's pause there for a second. Let's pretend that this was still the Trump administration. How would that all be perceived? Even if all the arguments were still the same, we're letting diplomacy work, we want to have discussions, there's going to be really brutal sanctions upcoming, but let's not do this yet. I guarantee you, the Democratic Party that was on full Russia panic alert for five years under Donald Trump, with all sorts of crazy things, collusion, all that stuff that never panned out in the Mueller report, etc., the collusion thing wasn't true. It was based on that phony dossier bought and paid for by the Democrats with that fact withheld for a very long time. But they were the hardest core Russia hawks you've ever seen. All of a sudden, the Democratic Party, hardcore Russia hawks. And Trump was a Manchurian candidate in the pocket of Putin, and they must have had compromise on the guy. And we heard all of that stuff. Collusion, collusion, all of it. So if you had the Trump administration lobbying against sanctions on a project that Putin cares a lot about while Putin was about to invade one of our allies, you know and I know what the Democrats would be saying and how the media would cover it. But that's not how this was covered at all and how this has been treated. Instead, what happened? Well, they had the vote in the Senate last night. They had the vote in the Senate yesterday on the Cruz sanctions bill against Putin. All the Republicans, except for Rand Paul, voted to sanction this pipeline. Six Democrats voted with them. It was a bipartisan majority in favor of the sanctions, the anti-Russia sanctions. 55 U.S. senators, a majority by my calculation out of 100, 55 said, yes, let's do this sanction bill. Bipartisan majority. And yet... It did not pass. How can this be? 55 out of 100. Why wouldn't that pass? Oh, it's because on most, med- most legislation in the United States Senate, there is a 60-vote threshold required for passage to proceed to the bill and then to pass it. 60 votes. And when a party doesn't want something to pass and it doesn't get to 60 votes... They're able to kill it through a process known colloquially as, you may have heard this word before, a filibuster. Right? That's what it is. I know that there's all sorts of technical definitions of what 
this type of filibuster is? Does this count as a filibuster? The way the filibuster is understood, the broad definition is it's the 60-vote threshold to proceed to a bill and to pass a bill. You need 60 votes in the Senate in many circumstances. And if you can't get to 60 votes, the people withholding the votes are engaged in a filibuster. And if they get even up to 59, but not 60, the bill dies and the filibuster succeeds. And thus, yesterday in the United States Senate, we witnessed, and I still can't really believe that I'm saying this, because it... it, it, I can't believe it's real. But we witnessed in the United States Senate yesterday the Democrats mounting a filibuster successfully to kill a sanctions bill against Vladimir Putin's interests. And by the way, a pipeline on fossil fuels. Right? They hate the pipelines here. They killed our pipeline here. Biden came in and did that, and all the jobs that came with it, and the energy that came with it, that was gone because of the environment. Right? They're, they're, so, they're ideologically so committed to saving the planet that they killed our pipeline project, but they approved Putin's. Now, here was a chance to sanction that project. Fossil fuels, oil, bad. Putin, bad, bad Putin. And they said no. The leader of the party that filibustered the sanctions is Chuck Schumer. The leader of the party that promoted the sanctions and sponsored it is Mitch McConnell, the guy that they call Moscow Mitch, because he's not tough enough on Russia or something, because he supported Trump too much or whatever, even though... McConnell's actual Russia policy and voting record is very tough. But they call him Moscow Mitch because they like to slander people. They do it all the time. We heard it from the president this week, George Wallace, Bull Connor, Jefferson Davis, all that BS. So Moscow Mitch and his party led the charge for this sanctions bill against Putin, and the Democrats were the ones who'd been hair on fire about Russia and the Kremlin for five years. They were the ones that killed it. They couldn't even do it with a majority because a majority of senators, including some of their own, wanted this sanctions bill. So they resorted to the 60-vote threshold tactic known as the filibuster, and they filibustered it. The same week that they are arguing that they must get rid of the filibuster because it is racist, Because it is the tyranny of the minority. It is a relic of Jim Crow. Obama put out an op-ed, his first op-ed in his post-presidency, calling for the end of the filibuster, even though he used it and defended it passionately when it aligned with his political interests, Barack Obama, when he was in the Senate. Peak Obama. Absolute peak Obama, that move. That was on Wednesday. On Tuesday... Biden's out there calling for them to end the filibuster, calling everyone racist and segregationists. This awful anti-democracy racist tool, the filibuster. Their language, their arguments, not sometime this week they're doing it. It's like, kill the filibuster, kill the racist filibuster week in democratic politics. 
and then they do a filibuster. Couldn't they have just punted maybe for a week? I know they do filibuster. They did hundreds of them. They mounted hundreds of filibusters when Trump was president because that was good and they wanted that. Now they don't like it because they're in charge, so they've completely changed their minds and they're screaming racism. None of that is unusual based on their tactics. I just can't believe that they actually decided to do a filibuster yesterday. But they did. Chuck Schumer and the Senate Democrats filibustered the Ted Cruz sanctions bill that would have that would have hurt Vladimir Putin and stopped fossil fuels from flowing through a pipeline on another continent somewhere. It is okay to point and laugh at these ridiculous people. Their environmental policies, supposedly, their stance on Putin, supposedly, their obsession this week on the filibuster, supposedly, they did the opposite thing on all three. In the middle of all of it, in the middle of their push, they did it. Point and laugh at these ridiculous people and then vote them back into the minority where they belong. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The President of the United States called half of the country a bunch of racist bigots. Think about that. Half the country a bunch of racist bigots. He doesn't believe that. This was a senile comment of a man who read whatever was loaded into his teleprompter. Ooh. We read you that quote yesterday. Now you're hearing it for yourself. Senator Ben Sass, Republican Nebraska, doesn't usually get involved in that kind of rhetoric, but he was really mad about what Biden said earlier in the week in Georgia. He was not alone. As we're back on the Guy Benson show, Sass went on in a lengthy floor speech, another one of his lines, cut 23 yesterday. His speechwriters puppet mastered him into saying that anyone who disagrees with him is George Wallace, Walt Connor, Jefferson Davis. You disagree with Joe Biden and you're Jefferson Davis. It's pretty breathtaking. It is breathtaking. It's nauseating. It also thankfully failed miserably cinema with a speech yesterday mansion with a statement the one-two punch dead they killed this ridiculous scheme dead what a preposterous week for these people these washington democrats my goodness but they keep taking l's l after l after l we'll talk about with kim strassel next out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The Guy Benson Show. We continue on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you very much for being here. 
We were scheduled to chat with Kimberly Strassel in this segment, but she apparently has some sort of a tech issue, so we are going to punt that conversation into the future, and I look forward to chatting with Kim very soon. In the meantime, I want to address some of what I was going to ask her about, and it goes back to what happened yesterday in the Senate. Pretty dramatic stuff, where President Biden came out in Atlanta on Tuesday, said what he said. We've covered that ad nauseum. And then Senator Cinema gave her speech, and she didn't have to do this. As we noted yesterday, she didn't have to give a floor speech, sort of reaffirming and again reiterating her commitment to maintaining the legislative filibuster as is under all this pressure. That was a choice. She wanted to do that. I think she, in some ways, might be enjoying it. So she gave that speech, I think, uh, shot across the bow of the White House And some of these progressives saying, you people keep bullying me in every way imaginable. Your activists chase me into bathrooms while filming me. Remember that. Biden could barely bring himself to condemn that. Remember that? I just remembered that as I was saying it out loud. I hadn't forgotten that she was chased and hounded into a bathroom with cameras, I had briefly forgotten that when Biden was asked about it, he was like, yeah, it's part of the process. He he briefly said something like, oh, you know, it's not good when that sort of thing happens. But look, it's part of the process. And at the time, I remember thinking, it's it's absolutely not part of the process. If you had a bunch of left-wing or right-wing activists, more likely right-wing activists, let's say for this hypothetical, chasing his wife, Dr. Jill Biden, the first lady, into a bathroom... Well, she'd have Secret Service protection. But if she didn't, I wonder if Joe Biden would be, like, pretty copacetic about it. Like, ah, well, you know, it happens. It's politics, whatever. I doubt that very much. I would guess, I would guess, that Senator Sinema remembered that little comment from him quite well. Filed that one away. She was at a wedding out in Arizona a friend's wedding, and I guess the activists found out that that's where she was, so they showed up, and they were making as much noise as they could, ruining, it was not cinema's wedding, it was someone else's wedding. And there was video of the mother of the bride, if I recall correctly, coming out to confront these people, begging them to stop, crying, sobbing. This is her daughter's wedding, these people are disrupting it, because Kirsten Cinema is in attendance at the wedding, and therefore she and everyone that she comes in contact with must be punished. That is how the left has treated Kirsten Cinema. Now they need her vote, again, to do something that she said she wouldn't do. She campaigned as a moderate. She campaigned in Arizona as an independent, mavericky moderate, sort of like I'm the Democratic version, sort of John McCain and that whole legacy. That's how she was trying to present herself to voters. She narrowly got elected, and much to the horror of the Democratic base that was more than happy to go along with her campaign at the time because it meant winning the seat, she actually meant it and she's actually governing that way, even though she votes left much of almost all of the time. She and I disagree on most things. 
I would rather have a Republican in the seat for a number of different reasons. But she campaigned as a moderate. She won as a moderate. And I think what the Democratic base and really the party leadership often does, this is something that has become increasingly obvious to me, is that they are more than happy to applaud, applaud, applaud their big tent party and have these moderates run as moderates. And look, we're just, we're not out there on the progressive left. We're a different kind of Democrat because the understanding is that's what you have to say. But if you're John Tester, you get your little flat top buzz cut and you ride around in your pickup truck with a gun every couple of years and put that in a TV ad and you, and you talk like the folks back home and you look like the folks back home, and then you vote as if you're Chuck Schumer 99% of the time. And occasionally you sort of give a headline or two about how you're not sure if you'll vote with Schumer, then you vote with Schumer. That's what they do. And that's the expectation of the moderate Democrats. Moderate, you know, in quotes, air quotes. What they cannot stand is when someone campaigns as a moderate and then actually decides to vote like one. Hence the absolute avalanche of hate and harassment directed at Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. And with Cinema, I made this point yesterday. They talk about how they love strong, independent women in positions of power. Yes, girl, you go. If it's Elizabeth Warren, nevertheless, she persisted, Queen. Yes. Then you have Kirsten Cinema being like, hey, y'all, I'm a moderate. I'm going to think for myself and do things that are in the best interest of the country and the state in my mind. They're like, oh, yeah, 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 go get elected. And then she gets elected. They're like, how dare she? Look at this corrupt B word. Let's go. We need to throw her out. Primary her. They're not so into the independent-minded, strong woman thing so much if she's not independently thinking precisely what they demand she think. So that whole thing's a joke and a fraud. That's not what they actually believe. So I think a lot of this frustration probably built up in Kirsten Cinema. I've mentioned before on the air in a few places that I got to know her just a little bit on a personal level Almost a decade ago, we spoke at a conference together. We hung out at a few at the parties. Uh, we, we had a few glasses of wine together. We got along very well. Someone was very rude to me at this conference. Someone got up, actually the keynote speaker of the conference, got up at one of our panels. I was on stage with cinema. And this woman got up and asked a question and said that she wanted to hear everyone's answer to her question, except for me, because I'm a lying right-winger and she cares about people who have an interest in the truth, or something like that. I'm paraphrasing what she said, but it was that aggressive. And Kirsten Cinema, then a state senator, relatively unknown at the time, she and I had gotten to know each other and hung out, as I mentioned, for a couple nights, so she took that question, she fielded it first, and really dressed this woman down and scolded her publicly and rebuked her for asking the question the way she had, for being rude to me, for assuming that I wouldn't answer a question honestly because we have a political disagreement. Like, she went after her. So I have a soft spot for cinema because of that. She was kind to me and went to bat for me in a public setting. But I haven't spoken with her in eight, you know eight or nine years. And we supported her opponent. Right? I would have voted for Martha McSally if I lived in Arizona. We had McSally on this show a bunch. 
Cinema's a Democrat, and I probably disagree with her with 70% of the time, something like that. But I respect the hell out of the fact that she actually meant what she said in terms of her approach to governing and her philosophy, and when she told people and reporters and the public and the voters that we have to work together and cooperate, I'm not going to end the filibuster, no matter what they've done to her, she is sticking by her guns. And rather being rather than being celebrated for that, as a tough woman sticking behind her principles, she is a villain. The media is doing hit pieces on her. They're taking completely anodyne things like, oh, some people who used to work for cinema are now lobbying her, and that's corruption. They're like, oh, she's bought and paid for. It's like, welcome to Washington. The revolving door thing is not new with Kirsten Cinema, but they're trying to bootstrap it into some scandal because they want to punish her because she is not doing the left-wing thing that she campaigned saying she wasn't going to do. It's not like she presented herself to voters one way and then is being two-faced and going back on her word and governing a completely different way. That would be Joe Biden. That would be President Biden, who sort of campaigned the way that Kirsten Cinema did. Let's heal. Let's work together. You know, let's, let's not do this crazy left-wing stuff and go off the deep end. You know, we're sort of old-school Democrat. Let's, let's do that. That's how he won the primary. It's, I don't understand this. He won the primary by beating the squad Warren, Bernie-type people, and then he has spent his presidency terrified of the people that he already beat in his own party. And now he's governing and now talking and acting the way they would like him to, although he's not getting the stuff done, so they still don't like him. They're never going to love you, Joe. But he's gone back on his word. He's been the two-faced guy. Cinema isn't, and she's the enemy. A bunch of Democrats are out there campaigning, fundraising, attacking Kirsten Cinema. What they're telling their voters is, give me a bunch of money. We need more Democrats in the Senate because Cinema's a traitor and Manchin's a traitor, and we need more real Democrats who are going to stand up to the Republicans and are willing to blow up the Senate and change the rules and overhaul our entire election system in a completely partisan way for no actual justifiable reason. That's the way they're campaigning, these Senate Democratic candidates, including some of the so-called moderates, Connor Lamb, Pennsylvania, Tim Ryan, Ohio. These guys want to go into your neighborhood in Ohio or Pennsylvania. Be like, oh, no, I'm a moderate. I'm not a crazy left winger. We need to. Do, but they are publicly in favor of blowing up the Senate rules to change the rules so their party can dominate elections by reshaping and rewriting election law where you don't have to show an ID to vote where ballot harvesting is legal, where all of our taxpayer money money goes to fund their campaigns. They're in favor of this, and they're attacking cinema for not. So lesson number one, take them at their word. Not that they're moderates, but that they will vote with Democratic leadership to ruin and alter our institutions in order to increase their power and their grip on power. Take that part of their word seriously because they're making it crystal clear they would do it if they have the votes. The moderate stuff is a bunch of window dressing. It's nonsense. They actually hate genuine moderates, as we're seeing directed at Manchin and Cinema. 
So that's one thing about the Democratic Party. And then just for anyone who's not into that, who doesn't want to see more of the Chuck Schumer, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, AOC, Bernie Sanders mentality play out, the only path to guaranteeing that they will continue to fail, because they've failed for now, because you had just enough Democrats, two of them, two, willing to stand up publicly to this stuff. Two. If you want to guarantee that this continues to fail, the Democrats need to go back into the minority. There's an opportunity to do that this November. It's it's an opportunity we should not miss. It is a very real chance to throw them back into the minority where they belong, where, by the way, all of a sudden, conveniently, mark my words, the the filibuster will once again become unracist, magically, out of nowhere. And if Republicans win the presidency and then have the trifecta again in 2025, totally possible, totally plausible. They'll be back at the drawing board writing up a new letter demanding that the filibuster be protected forever. Their position on this stuff is based totally on their own perception of their expedient interest for their own power. Don't believe me? Go back and listen to the opening monologue. They mounted a filibuster yesterday to kill a sanctions bill that would have hurt Putin. They will use the filibuster whenever they want to use the filibuster, but they want to get rid of it because right now they think they can use it for this power grab, and this would be a systemic power grab. They would change our election system in a 50-50 Senate, and they failed. And as I keep saying, if you want them to keep failing, We can't only rely on a handful of Democrats doing the right thing. Put Chuck Schumer back into his minority leader position, where he's better suited, actually. He's not a very good majority leader at all. Look at what we're seeing. Cinema has watched all of this. She's annoyed with the White House. The president goes, and it's not just enough that he didn't come to her defense when people chased her into a bathroom with cameras. He then effectively called her a segregationist and a racist along with Manchin and the rest of the Republican Party, and I guess she didn't like that very much, hence the speech that she gave yesterday. And Manchin, who put out the statement, he put out another lengthy statement. I guess this is just like a monthly uh, tradition now. A tradition unlike any other. Joe Manchin saying the same thing again about the filibuster. So he put out a long like uh, official statement just saying, yep, we're not doing it as he has said repeatedly. Here he is on Capitol Hill yesterday, cut three, Senator Manchin. Did you listen to Senator Sinema's speech on the floor? She did an excellent job. Do do you agree with many of the points that she made? I think it's the points that I've been making for an awful long time, and she has too. Yeah, I mean, correct. I thought she did an excellent job. Well, me too. I'm just... I'm just amazed. I'm just amazed that what Schumer and Biden have decided to do in all of this is alienate these two people whose votes they need for everything. And then they've drawn up this genius galaxy brain scheme where they fail at big ba- uh, Build Back Better, BBB, because they wouldn't listen to Manchin either on that, didn't take him seriously. Whoops, that was a big mistake. So that fails. Manchin said today, by the way, they still haven't started renegotiating. We've had no conversations. Then they pivot to the next thing, which is 
election voting reform or voting rights legislation, whatever they want to call it, that they don't have the votes for, that would require changing the rules in the nuclear option that they also don't have the votes for. That was their big pivot to another failure. That's going to anger the base again. And in the process of trying to make sure the base isn't too angry about it, they called two of their own senators racist segregationists or like carrying out that legacy. And those senators raced out to public and said, basically, screw you. Hell of a job. This is the brain trust of the Democratic Party right now. Thank God they're not more competent. They'd be doing a lot more damage if they were more competent. But they're not right now. Put them in the minority as soon as possible in November. Thank you very much. Thank you for attending my TED Talk. We'll be right back after this. The Guy Benson Show. We're back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Another bad stat on the economy today. A 1.9% plunge in retail sales in December. A huge miss. Much worse than expected by the experts. And it appears to mainly reflect the ongoing impact of higher prices, inflation, and shortages. With the Omicron wave having only a modest impact. So these are more systemic problems with the economy. With inflation and supply chain issues and other shortages. That is the Biden economy right now, and it hurt retail sales in December, the Christmas month. Meanwhile, the administration announcing that starting next week, the 19th, you can order COVID tests online at a government website. Then you'll have to wait a week and a half to get them in the mail in many cases. Then I guess you test them, then mail it in, and maybe a month later you'll get your results. By which point the Omicron spike will be long gone. Just in time, government. This is what the president is focused on, right? Oh, no, he's yelling about the filibuster. Good stuff, Joe. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. All the Friday vibes on the Guy Benson Show. It's a brand new hour, our middle hour. Getting closer to the weekend, getting closer to 5 o'clock. I wonder if producer Christine is anxiously eyeing a bottle of wine on the counter. I know it's dry January for her. I'm just, I just have a spidey sense about it. <laughs> it is our middle hour of 3. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast is free every day. Fox News Alert. The Dow closes down today, 201 points, although that is off-session lows. Rallied a bit at the end of the, clo- of the, end of the uh, trading day, just ahead of the close. Final number on Wall Street for the Dow today, 35,911. With us now is Jessica Tarloff, Fox News contributor, head of research at Bustle. She is also the chief baby correspondent, motherhood correspondent here at the Guy Benson Show. And, Jesse, it's great to have you back. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I have to start here by congratulating you. I saw, number one, that you had baby Cleo on the air the other day, introducing Cleo to the audience, to your co-hosts, and they are now officially your co-hosts, as Fox announced that you are formally, at this point, one of the rotating libs on the five in a more official capacity. So that's exciting, and congratulations on all of the things. (laughs) Thank you. It's a 
a good extra title, and I'm thrilled to be a part of a team that has definitely figured out some sort of magic sauce um, in terms of keeping people in their seats for it. And um, it's wonderful working with Harold Ford Jr. and Geraldo um, on holding down the liberal seat fort, as it were. Um, so, yeah, excitement all around. How old now is young Cleo? She's five weeks tomorrow. Okay. How is week five of motherhood? I just We just need updates from you here. It's good. I mean, it's, it's exhausting, like, in a deep emotional way, even if you get enough sleep. And I, I actually have been getting what is technically enough sleep. Um, but there's a lot swirling around with all of it. And, you know, when they say things like, oh, you know, you feed them every three hours, it, it takes like 90 minutes essentially to do a feed and then the burp resting. And then if you're going to do tummy time, these are all things that you'll learn about the tummy time stuff and whatever, if you decide to jump into fatherhood and it's, uh, it's a lot, <laughs> it, but it's great. And it she's does very sound cute like and a lot. Sweet. Are you able to keep yeah, up it, with the news and everything? Like, are you, feeding the baby and then like on your Twitter feed or like, how are you juggling this stuff? I'm definitely paying attention, but not, not as closely, obviously, since I don't have to be accountable for a real opinion as politics. I do know that it looks like voting rights is uh, not happening and that Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema, Kirsten, I should say, uh, are holding tight to their filibuster, uh, Stances, but well, I mean, when I you say voting rights isn't happening, have... what the Democrats want to do isn't happening. I mean, people will still have the right to vote in this country. But I, I guess the the broad question I would have, since you're not necessarily in the weeds while on maternity leave, and this is maybe the sense of, of how you're feeling and, you know, how much news you're getting. Would you say this was a good week for the Biden administration? I did happen to see Kamala Harris's interview with Craig Melvin. <laughs> oh, did you? What you were getting at? Oh, it was one yeah, of no. one of several things I was going to get at, actually. But, but go on. <laughs> no, that that clip did make it uh, to tummy time, and <laughs> it was bad. And uh, I was not unhappy that I wasn't the one sitting on the side this week. We'll talking about, in fact, just just in there. case, just to make sure we're talking about the same. <laughs> The same question and answer there were because there there were multiple things that you might be referring to in that interview. To me, my favorite one that we played several times yesterday was cut 14 here. At what point does the administration say, you know what, this strategy isn't working. We're going to change strategies. Six former administration officials last week wrote that open letter urging the administration to change course, to change strategy. Is it time? It is time for us to do what we have been doing and that time is every day <laughs> every day it is time for us to agree that there are things and tools that are available to us to slow this thing down and so right now we know we still have a number of people that that is in the millions of okay. americans and, and on she goes uh jesse it is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Can I stitch that onto a pillow for you? Maybe give that to you as a baby gift. I think it would fit on a pillow. You could do it across like a like a king size bed duvet. Um, could I say the time is now for me to not answer this question? Um, <laughs> and that time is every day. <laughs> and it happens every day. Um, 
It was, it wasn't good. I mean, I think that this is obviously is part of a, a pattern that it seems that she's not properly prepared for big interviews. And this was a quote unquote friendly, right? I mean, this is on NBC. Um, it wasn't like a, it didn't feel like even a really hard ball question considering the fact no, that it's, we're it's an obvious, a easy nationwide question. test. Exactly. And I think that the news about the test that came out today that we can all sign online to get tests delivered to us, but it takes seven to 12 days. You're done. Seven yeah. to 12 days. If you had it, you're recovered. <laughs> I, first it's of like, all. No, no. And and first of all, can I just can I just say, number one, I'm very grateful that you're willing to make these points, even though it's like, you know, not reflecting great on your side necessarily. I'm oh. glad that you're being intellectually honest about it. The, the follow-up question here, not that I'm going to convert you overnight into a conservative, no, perhaps perhaps are. in time, perhaps mm-hmm. in time, but can you recognize, given the fact that we're two years into the pandemic and we spent trillions of dollars on the pandemic, including more trillions this year, and we know everything that we know about the pandemic, and we have a president who campaigned on ending the pandemic, and here we are two years in where their plan is as of next, like the 19th, you can start ordering from a website tests that will arrive a week and a half later, maybe. Are you perhaps more able, Jesse, to understand why we conservatives are not eager to give the the money and the power to the government to do even more things, considering how bad they are at doing many basic things? So if I was coming to this from a perspective that I was concerned about those spending priorities, because I think that's something that goes back a long way, obviously, in conservatism, the kind of emphasis on small government, et cetera. And and that isn't my background, because I I do think that as a government, even though it's supposedly the scariest thing you can hear, I think the government is here to help. And I know that sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Um, I just think it's like, we do at the very spend. least, super incompetent. Like, look at this. The plan that they've come up with for tests is this. It's really, I think that it, it is why you're seeing so much exhaustion happening on the part of liberals. So coupling up the testing shortage um, and what's going on with schools, which is obviously a huge point of contention, you know, last week or into this week in Chicago was a complete debacle right. um, of, you know, Lori Lightfoot finally getting the message that this isn't about caring about the disease or not caring about the disease. But we've now segued into a world where COVID is a quasi permanent part of our lives. Right. Like, I have no idea when we're not going to need to think about COVID. Yeah, and that's the adjustment and... that some are finally making. And I think you said it quite well. And I, you could just ruminate during tummy time about the role of government and government incompetence. That's my charge to you. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. This weekend, Virginia will get a brand new governor. Glenn Youngkin, Republican, will take the helm along with his administration. Very pleased and excited about that. And the man who is outgoing, Democrat Ralph Northam, is giving some interviews. And he gave one to the Washington Post. And I am just blown away by the brazenness of something that he's trying to do right now. So Northam, you'll recall, is Governor Blackface. Right, the yearbook photo 
in his medical school yearbook back in whatever it was, the 80s, where he had his yearbook page with photos of himself and his name. Then he had the photograph there of a guy in blackface standing next to another guy, I guess at a costume party, in a KKK hood. So this came out, whenever that was, a couple of years ago now. Big controversy. Everyone called on him to resign. He didn't. And then it just sort of blew over, just like it did with Justin Trudeau. I guess if you're a lefty politician who wears blackface, white dude, it doesn't really matter. Because they're not the racist party. The other party is the racist party. No matter how many racist things they do, it doesn't count. In any case, Northam is now trying to claim that it wasn't him in that photograph, but that he has been seeking out the truth of who was in the photograph. This is like OJ dedicating his life, looking for the real killer. This is Governor Blackface looking for the real blackface culprit. Now, may I remind you that when this came out, Northam apologized for it, right? This was a photograph. He designed the Facebook page for himself. It's his name, his photos, his yearbook page. Did I say Facebook? Yearbook. (laughs) He got caught. He apologized for it and said he wasn't sure if he was the guy in blackface or the guy in the Klan hood. He also, in the damage control press conference at the time, admitted that he wore blackface another time when he was doing a Michael Jackson impersonation. Then he started to do a moonwalk till his wife stopped him. (laughs) Do you remember this? This is all real. His attorney general, also a Democrat, turned out he had to apologize for wearing blackface. It all came out at the same time. The lieutenant governor... On the same ticket, he was accused by multiple women of rape. It was an interesting time for the Democrats in Virginia. They've subsequently lost. But Northam, I guess, has made the shift. He's pivoted away from apologizing for the blackface Klan photo that he was in to saying that it wasn't him and that he's been seeking out the identity of whoever it was. And I remind you, he admitted blackface another time. So I'm very confused by this strategy on his part. But he told the Washington Post in this interview that he is 99% sure that he knows the identity of who the blackface person was. And you know what, Governor? Same. (laughs) I am also at least 99% certain of who that was. That would be you. Because it was your photograph on your yearbook page that you apologized for posing for and posting in your yearbook while admitting that you also did blackface a different time. So this is like some hardcore gaslighting from Northam on his way out the door, saying that he believes he knows. He said, I am 99% sure of the identity. He is very generously not revealing who the person is. Isn't that thoughtful of him? Does it rhyme with Calf Forthram? Is that is that am I close, Governor? He says no. The uh, the name of the person is alphabetically very close to him. So I guess what he's trying to claim, and he says he's talked to this person or he's been talked to, which is a weird passive sentence. The man has been talked to. It was also in his medical school class. 
But I guess what the news story is, is that this other mystery man, this unnamed person with a last name close to his in the alphabet, he was the one who submitted the blackface clan photograph and it ended up in the yearbook. And then that was discovered years later. And it was just a giant unfair thing for Ralph Northam, who was just Mr. Innocent, had nothing to do with that photograph under his name with a bunch of other photos of him in his yearbook. And also, by the way, he also did blackface another time. But it's just a misunderstanding and it's someone else's fault. And he's 99% sure of who it is, but he can't tell us who it is. Are you kidding me? Like, do you have no self-respect at all? Do you have any respect for the collective intelligence of the people of Virginia and the country? You expect them to believe this? By the way, there's one more thought on this. Not, I probably shouldn't even spend this much time rebutting it. It just bothers me. It bothers me so much. A Republican would never get away with this. Like the Washington Post just reporting, oh, Ralph Northam says he believes it. This like just stenographers. If he were a Republican and he was spinning this insane lie after he'd already apologized for it, admitted to doing the same thing another time, it would just be compounding the scandal. But I guess he feels like he's got the freedom and ability to try to lessen the scandal by gaslighting us this way. But the point I would make is, let's say his alternate theory of the blackface crime is true. And it was all a big mix-up. And he's the victim, setting aside the other blackface thing that he admits he did, having already apologized for this one as well. Wouldn't at the time, I mean, you're, you're in medical school, you're in your 20s, you're an adult. If a yearbook comes out, and this was not like 1920s, 1940s, or even pre-civil rights era, this was the 80s, this was modern America. If there was a photograph accidentally inserted in your yearbook, on your page, under your name, of a white person with black paint all over their face next to another person dressed up as the KKK, I feel like that's something that you would remember and be upset about and maybe have a word with the yearbook editor and file some sort of complaint. And there would be other people who could say, oh yeah, he was mad when that happened. That was not his photograph. It was a huge screw-up. That was someone else's photo. It ended up on his page, and he blew a gasket. And he told everyone about it at the time. Like, that would be my reaction. I think that would be a normal reaction to be offended by something, rightfully offended by that type of mistake. Now, of course, there's no evidence at all, and he's presented no evidence at all, that he did anything of the sort at the time. I guess he just, what, saw the photograph, the racist photograph, under his name, on his yearbook page, and shrugged. He's like, eh, oh well, them's the breaks. That is what he would have us believe. Or, and hear me out, just spitballing. Or, he's in the photo. It's him. Either behind the paint or behind the hood. He got caught. He apologized for it. Admitting along the way that he, I guess, did blackface more than once. And now that he is about to leave elective office with a very uncertain future, being replaced by a Republican, he's trying to cobble together some form of rehabilitation of his image. And he's decided that this is the plan that he's landed on. And he's hoping that people just don't think too hard about it and say, oh, maybe he was uh, screwed over on this. And he's counting on the Washington Post and others in the press to be like, oh, 
Well, he says he's 99% sure he knows who it is, but he's not going to tell us. But that's thoughtful. That's kind of him. Thank you, Governor, for your service. Enjoy your retirement. It's crazy, which is why I dedicated this entire segment to, shall we say, expressing my profound doubts that any of this is true. Which makes more sense? His after-the-fact investigation, having basically admitted to it and apologizing for it, admitting to doing the same thing, or just that it's him. And it was always him. I know where I'd put my money. It's The Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. Guy Benson. Halfway through the Friday edition of the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for being here. GuyBensonShow.com for the podcast, which is free on demand every day. Bonus Benson coming up this weekend and every weekend. GuyBensonShow.com. With us now, Dr. Manny Alvarez, Fox News contributor, senior health analyst here. Doctor, good to have you back. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Let's start here. Our producer here at the show, Christine, was watching Good Morning America on ABC earlier today. And she said one of their lead stories that they were flogging was pediatric hospitalizations with COVID. And she said it was really scary and painting a very grim picture. We know that roughly half, if not more, of these hospitalizations that they're talking about are actually incidental. People, kids showing up with, let's say, a broken arm or something like that, testing positive because you have to test when you get admitted to a hospital. I just wonder why, in your mind, there is still a narrative out there that this is a really dangerous thing for kids when we know that that isn't the case. It's never been the case with COVID and Omicron is even less severe than previous iterations. What's going on here? Well, listen, I think that uh, there's definitely an optic in pediatric cases that uh, children, especially young ones or children with underlying medical conditions are being affected by COVID. And, you know, you, when you, I think that, you know, some of the new cycle, you know, despite the fact that there are some hospitals that are showing high positivity rates in the pediatric population, the other side of the coin is that the, that the vaccination rates among children is not what the government expect them to be. Uh, and I think that's going to be, you know, uh, the, the state for a while. So I'm not sure if the narrative is being conducted in a way to, I don't want to say the word coerce, but to to influence parents into getting their kids vaccinated. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a political football. COVID has always been. Um, there's no doubt that some children are being affected, and, and that is something of concern. But uh, you, you're right. The, the pediatric population as a whole has always, you know, uh, you know, been very well. Uh, uh, they recover very quickly. They seem to have mild symptoms. It's not, uh, you know, the same as adults that have underlying medical conditions. Yeah, and I'm just concerned about this mentality that oh, we've got to get every child in the country vaccinated, or else you can't go and do anything. You can't go to school. I see Minneapolis has announced a new policy where there's going to be vaccine passports even for kindergartners. And even a lot of the people who are pro-vaccine for kids say it's not as clear-cut as it is with adults. Talk to your doctor. Do not require it. But it seems like there's just an element of society, including a lot of people in charge in certain places, saying we're going to try to mandate as much stuff as possible. And I think that there's probably something of a backlash to that. That has to be part of this equation, too. 
No, no doubt about it. I mean, I, I think that the, the lessons that, uh, that you know, have to be learned is that, you know, American society has always been a free society, and that also applies to health care. You know, you could take any, any chronic medical diseases, whether it's heart conditions or, or diabetes, obesity, you name it. Uh, you know, the, 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 the soft message has always been in the medical community, hey, you know, losing weight is good for your health. You know, getting a cardiac check is good for your health. There are no mandates, uh, and despite the fact that, you know, thousands and thousands of people have died from heart disease and obesity and diabetes. But it's always been a suggestion and, and, and an intelligent, mature suggestion. You know, since the COVID began, it be, you know, it became a political football. You know, the world was going to end. You know, we're going to eradicate COVID. And all of those things uh, didn't come to fruition. You, you're not going to eradicate COVID. COVID is going to become an endemic disease, and it's already an endemic disease. We're going to live with COVID for the rest of our lives, or at least in the short, you know, lifetime span that I have. Um, we're going to live with it. Some people are going to, you know, get routine vaccination. The campaigns can go soft. But now when you get into separating the vaccinated against the, you know, the unvaccinated and when you begin to restrict the freedoms of Americans, whether it's to travel or to, you know, or to go to a restaurant or to, to go to a public park or museum, uh, now you're beginning to have draconian measures that will never, ever play well with the American public. And if anything, it's going to backfire. And we're seeing that. In, 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 in all the, you know, you look at the Supreme Court decision yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to say, look, this is an overreach. You can't be doing this. This is not, you know, health care has never been in this country. In other countries, it is regulated by the government. But uh, I don't think the American public have chosen uh, a, a socialism type of medicine to be established in the, in the free United States. And I think that that's the difference. And hopefully, you know, maybe there will be a mature face coming forward in the Biden administration where they say, you know what, we did the best we could. Uh, we're not going to, you know, this is something that we can, you know, live with and, and, and we're going to educate the public. But that is, that is as far as we can take it. And I think that then people are going to have a chance to evaluate that thought process and say, you know what, maybe I'm going to take the vaccine. You know, it, the, you know the, but this harsh, you know, commandment of, of doing things in healthcare has never worked. Doctor, I want to ask you this specifically. I've been meaning to ask you because your specialty, you're an OBGYN. One of the questions that I've asked you repeatedly, sort of a a strain, a line of questioning over the course of this whole pandemic, you've been very generous to come on over and over again on the show, and there's a lot of stuff surrounding pregnant women and COVID and COVID vaccines. And you've been saying very consistently – the vaccines do not affect pregnant women. Everything is fine. It doesn't affect your reproductive health. That's misinformation. You're recommending that women uh, who are pregnant or might get pregnant get the vaccine. You've explained why. There was a story that I saw a couple days ago about a study indicating that the vaccines were linked to a temporary increase in the menstrual cycle length of women. And I wonder if you, I assume you saw that study, what you make of it, because a lot of people were holding that up and saying, aha, they've been lying to us all along. <laughs> this does have an impact on reproductive health in a woman. Is that overstating it? What actually was the finding yeah. here? Yeah, I, that's overstating it. You, you have to remember, uh, you know, when, when COVID first began, uh, the original COVID and, and sometimes the Delta variant uh, that gave a, a massive infection to an individual. You know, uh, especially in the early phases where we did not have a lot of people vaccinated, they got the the, the typical COVID, which was the cough, the fever, the malaise, 
And then a few days later, they began to get a, a, an inflammatory response. You know, most of those patients are the ones that began to complain about respiratory uh, problems and and uh, all sorts of things. The, the inflammatory phase of the original COVID and the Delta variant uh, in some people inflamed their organs. When you have inflammation, then anything is, you know, everything is up for grabs, you know, whether it's kidney function, liver function. And it's not unusual, or it wasn't unusual when you looked at these studies, that some women complain of having menstrual uh, cycles. But, but again, all of these things become transitory. Having, an, you know, having a, an abnormal menstrual cycle it doesn't necessarily translate uh, in any way, shape, or form to any reason for infertility per se. Uh, it, you know, it could interfere with the, with, with the ovulation cycle, but, but it, it's not a, it's not one of those things that you would say, aha, you know, you know, the increased menstrual cycle. Now you have infertility issues and you can't get pregnant. That's not what this study really showed. But it is that post-inflammatory uh, phase of the Delta and the and the original COVID var- uh, variant that that uh, really led to some people uh, have these uh, inflammatory problems. And you could argue but that, that's if you, you know, have that's at- if you have COVID. But th- this is about the vaccines. Right. The study. Well, I no, I think that this was people that got the vaccine, but people that had had COVID in the past. Uh, that's my understanding. I could be wrong and I could look and, and you know, correct myself on that. But, I see. But but I, I don't think that that that's really the 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 issue. Uh, so you're you know, not concerned as someone in your all. realm, in your specialty. You are not moved at all on your position when it comes to vaccination for COVID and pregnant women. No, no, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, we, we're even suggesting a booster for, for some pregnant women that have had the original shots uh, early in the, in the, let's say, the 2021 cycle. So, no, the, the answer is no. Okay. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, what I would tell you is that a lot of uh, pregnant women, uh, because uh, that even have received the vaccine, uh, are testing asymptomatically to uh, COVID PCR. So, you know, it tells you because, you know, pregnancy testing into positive. itself, uh, yeah, testing positive, right. So, so you know, pregnancy into itself, it, you know, decreases the, you know, the, it's sort of, uh, it's almost like a steroidal phase where you don't really have a lot of strong immunity. That's why all vaccines, most of all vaccines are recommended for pregnant women, including the flu shot. Finally, and I know it's not easy to answer and there are always things that can change, but we're starting to see a major collapse in cases on Omicron. Like it went shot up like a rocket and then just falling like a rock. And True. that is what we saw elsewhere in the world. We're seeing it now in some of our cities in the United States. It went through. It just really ripped through almost everyone. So there's a lot of additional new fresh immunity out there. It's a weaker variant. Is it reasonable for the American people to start to hope that finally for real the worst is actually behind us in this pandemic? Well, absolutely. I I think that the peak uh, is probably almost here now. And if you look at some, uh, you know, I follow the statistics, there are some pockets, especially in the Northeast, where the positivity uh, rate is dropping by 10 points every week. So uh, the anticipation uh, is that, uh, you know, come the end of of, uh, January uh, and probably beginning next week, you're going to see that uh, that nadir of that curve begin to go down. Um, But that's what we're seeing. And that's what's being reported by many departments of health around different cities in the Northeast. Dr. Manny Alvarez, we appreciate it, doctor, and have a good weekend. We'll talk to you soon.
Thank you, Guy. Have a good weekend. Back right after this short break. Guy Benson will be right back. It's the Guy Benson Show. We're back. Thanks for listening. This is interesting. Yahoo News has a story with Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, who decided he was going to start taking shots at Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. He's done this before in public as well. I'm starting to think that Gavin Newsom is planning to run for president in 2024 and thinks that DeSantis could very well be the Republican nominee. And so he's taking every chance he can to start dirtying up DeSantis years in advance. I know that's far away from now. A lot of things would have to go differently, certainly in the Democratic Party, for Gavin Newsom to be his party's nominee. I just have an inkling. I think he's calculating that Joe Biden's not going to run again and that there might be an opportunity for him to come in as this left-wing governor out in California and unite the party behind him. Of course, this is the guy who survived the recall easily in a very blue state, despite being a total hypocrite and the whole incident, the French laundry and all the restrictions that they have in that state. He's been very aggressive with all that stuff, going after businesses, destroying people's jobs. But when it came to his enjoyment of a fancy dinner party, he did what he wanted to do because he's more special than the rest of us. That's Gavin Newsom. And Newsom, I guess, is trying to start to get the playing field set in a way that he feels comfortable with about a very hypothetical situation a few years from now. That's my read on why he's doing this. But regardless of his motivation, here's what he said, talking about some of these Republican governors, and then he specifically called out DeSantis, quote, they're performance artists, some of these people. All you have to do is watch Fox and then just decide to plug in. I mean, it's about the easiest thing I've seen in politics. It's just, what's the ticker on Fox primetime? This is a little strange, whatever he's saying here. I'm not quite following it. I guess he's saying that the governors just watch Fox News and then do that. But that's not the same thing as governance. And there was no one following the ticker on any network in the early days of COVID that forced someone like Governor DeSantis to make a decision, an early, proactive, correct decision, for example, to keep schools open, which is what DeSantis did. Newsom did the opposite in California. He's making it seem like, oh, they don't actually make any tough decisions. They just follow what some talking heads are saying. That's not a reflection of reality. That's a cartoon character that I guess Gavin Newsom has decided to create for himself or his own political purposes. He says, with respect, we'd have 40,000 more Californians dead if we took his, meaning DeSantis's, approach. I do not look for inspiration to that particular governor, he said. Not only the pandemic, but to other policy, including the absurdity that was his woke initiative, the laughability around stopping something that doesn't exist, critical race theory, just playing in and placating the right-wing punditry. It's the CPAC primary. It's rather absurd. That's why I respectfully submit that so much of this is pure performance. Well, I don't think he's respectfully submitting anything. He's engaged in a political attack, his analysis of the way Ron DeSantis is governing the state of Florida. Notice that he throws in there that critical race theory is an invention that's made up. I hope, as I've said before, Democrats stick with that because that's a lie. Parents know it's a lie. Parents are seeing what's being taught 
in school, the inculcation of their kids, the indoctrination, the racialization of curricula. Leftists brag about it and then also claim that it doesn't exist while they're attacking people for pushing back against it. So Newsom is not breaking any new ground on that. But he's saying he doesn't take inspiration from Governor DeSantis, and he claims that they'd have 40,000 more Californians dead if they had done the Florida thing. Okay, let's just examine this for a moment. And I suspect Governor DeSantis would be more than happy to have this debate because DeSantis knows what he's talking about. He's prepared for this stuff. He takes shots like this every day. He knows his stuff and his data. But I'll also take a crack at it here. I looked up not just COVID deaths because the left tells us, oh, they'd cook the books in Florida. Not true. Not true at all. Total lie. Total myth. Conspiracy theory. Unlike New York, where they actually did it. And I saw Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan now in trouble. Her administration undercounted nursing home deaths by up to 30 percent, maybe more, according to an independent audit. So that's not true in Florida, but they've been saying it. Let's look at excess deaths during the pandemic. Deaths beyond what is typical. At USMortality.com, they track it by state. California has the 16th highest rate of excess deaths in the country since the pandemic started. Number 16. Florida is number 20. Florida is doing better than California on excess deaths. I would love to see Gavin Newsom explain that one, especially given that Florida famously has disproportionately an older population. So that is, I'd say, a questionable at best attack line on safety and deaths. You have to look at other things, too. Suicides, the economy, mental health issues, kids in school. You'd rather be a parent and a kid in Florida, I guarantee you that, than California, where schools were closed for so long, harming those kids. Here's another metric. During the pandemic, more than 200,000 people have moved into Florida. Nearly 200,000 people have moved out of California. Seems like the people are speaking. They're voting, Governor Newsom, with their feet. And you're losing that fight to Florida badly. How about this one? Unemployment rate. Florida, 4.5%. California, almost 7%. Dead last in the country as of last month. If this is a fight that Newsom wants to pick with Ron DeSantis, I suspect Ron DeSantis would be happy to have that fight. And if the country should have that battle in 2024, to me, it's not even close. The Guy Benson Show continues. Final hour coming up. It's Fridays with Kat next. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Crack open an ice-cold long drink. It's the Friday happy hour on the Guy Benson Show, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. It's really good. Expanding massively across the country very soon. Details to come. TheLongDrink.com. You can find out more, see where it's sold near you. Order online. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only. And the Guy Benson Show website. 
which is available even for children. GuyBensonShow.com. GuyBensonShow.com, all the ways to listen, to catch the podcast, bonus Benson on the weekends. It's all right there. We also encourage you to follow us on social, at GuyBensonShow, Twitter and Instagram. Or you can follow me personally, or both. I'm Guy P. Benson on Twitter and Instagram. The show is Guy Benson Show. Just do yourself a favor and follow us across those platforms, both accounts. That's my personal counsel to you. It's a free pro tip from me to you on this Friday. And we are joined on this Friday by our friend, Kat Temp, because it's Fridays with Kat. She's a Fox News contributor, co-host of Gutfeld, 11 p.m. Eastern, every weeknight, Fox News Channel. She's also got the podcast with Tyrus, Tyrus and Timp, foxnewspodcast.com. And Kat, last time you were here, you launched a lengthy and embittered attack on Santa Claus. So happy new year to you. Yes, and I meant it. Yeah, I know. You tweeted it multiple times. Yeah, I meant it. You wanted the people to hear your thoughts on Santa. Now that we've had you back in 2022 for the first time, I've been meaning to ask you, are you the type – I think I know the answer, but I'm not sure. Are you the type of person who does New Year's resolutions? Do you have one? Have you kept up with it? What's your New Year's resolution stance? You you already know. You know. (laughs) (laughs) Do I seem like someone who – is going to meditate, like, you know, spend New Year's Eve meditating about how to better myself? No. No. Like, I'm more about what you see is what you get. And <laughs> welcome if you like it. If not, get lost. I think that that is a pretty strong motto for life. Well, and life is very short. Life is very short. Do you think that I want to spend time around people who, you know, I'm not enough for you? I'm not enough. I know I'm a lot. Then go get less. Okay. Go, go, you know, drink green juice with somebody else because it ain't going to be me. (laughs) Fair enough. I do want to ask you this, and it's, I guess, quasi related because I'm curious what you ended up doing for New Year's Eve. And I don't know if it now can be told, but just before New Year's and around the holidays, you were one of the, what, many countless millions of people who got the Rona finally, probably Omicron. You were down for a couple days, but. It really didn't seem to hit you very hard at all, which was the good news. Okay, so last year, I had two shots and I had two COVIDs. I didn't know that I had had COVID previously that year because all my tests came back negative. And then the government, you know, the New York government called me like a month later saying that my PCR had actually been positive and I didn't know what to believe uh, until I got antibodies tested. And I found out that I did have it at the beginning of the year when my husband oh, had it. Oh, in 21? Mm-hmm, in March. Which okay. I'm guessing, I'm guessing based on what my antibody levels were and by the fact that I was quarantining with a husband who had it. So like, makes sense. That's a educated guess. I yeah. And I felt a little sleepy, but I felt mostly fine. The second COVID, my COVID 2.0, my Christmas COVID, I got dinged because I tested positive here because I got tested due to being exposed to someone who had it. So and everyone had it. And everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time, like- it was like by the time before I got the chance to go to the testing center, I was already getting another call about how I had another exposure. I was like, I'm literally on my way. So I tested positive and I was so confused. I went home, obviously. I was like, I feel great. Obviously cracked open a Mickey Ultra, drank it in bed. What else is Mm. there to do at that point? Um, That night, I started to feel a little sick. I had uh, some sweats, real sweaty, uh, chills, sore throat, some aches. Woke up completely fine, never felt another symptom. That was was the extent of it. That was the extent of it, yeah. Now I'm actually sort of confused. We don't have to go too far down the rabbit hole, but I'm trying to figure out this timeline. You got your first shot of the vaccine when? 
Oh, so yeah, in February, end of February. So I got COVID between shots, which I think might be why my first COVID oh. wasn't so bad either. That would make sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you had shot number one, then COVID, you think. Yes. Then, then shot number two. Yes. What, a month later? Yeah, like uh, uh, with about, yeah, about, then um, they, they said it was fine. But my point is this, though, now. But, but hang on, so it was like April-ish. Yeah. And then you were susceptible to get COVID again, despite previous antibodies of the vaccine and natural variety. Yeah. You got it again, although probably the new variant by December. That's, that's pretty crazy. It's actually. crazy. It had to be the cron, too. I know it had to be the cron because I was really not that sick. Um, same thing. Cam got it too. He was a little sicker. He was asleep for like three days, which honestly I see myself as the victim of that situation because he was unconscious and I'm the healthy person quarantined, basically alone, having to like walk around his feverish body to go to the fridge to get more Mickey ultras. Um, mm, that's you know, so hard for you. Yeah. I'm glad you realize, uh, that I'm <laughs> the, the true, true victim. victim. <laughs> the true victim of your husband's illness is Yes. You. Thank you. I'm glad you realize. I'm glad we have the same stance. Well, I'm actually simply reiterating your stance, but go on. Yeah. Well, here's this is what makes me violently upset. Right. I living in New York, I think it's a matter of time before, you know, I think like my vaccine is going to like even the app says it expires in March. And like I have to get a boost like, you know, it's going to be like you need to be boosted to get in anywhere. My booster was my horrible Christmas. That was my booster. Right. My booster. Nature's booster. Yeah. I had COVID. So I don't need a booster. And also the booster doesn't stop you from getting it. It doesn't. That's also correct. It's, it's, Not with Omicron. No, it doesn't. My um, uh, One of my husband's closest friends, he got boosted. He got COVID two weeks later, which is when you're supposed to have peak protection from the booster. So, you know, like, like I, I, you know, I'm a mostly lawless heathen. So I think pretty much everything should be legal, as you know. Um, but the argument that you know, the, I was always going to be against the mandates, but the argument for them was that it stops from spreading it. Like you can make decisions for yourself, but you don't get to make that decision for someone right. else that you spread it to. Blah, 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 right. blah, blah. That does not apply anymore. That does not that that it's not the rare breakthrough case anymore. It's you're going to get the cron. If you haven't had the cron, you're getting the cron. OK, and then if you get the cron like I did, I'm actually protected for at least a little while. Okay, Mm -hmm. I don't need a booster shot right now. It might be bad for me to get a booster shot right now. And, you know, I just I my doctor told me my doctor told me after I got covid over the summer, having had two shots, don't get a booster for at least six months. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. At least six months, if at all. Okay, and I'll make that decision with my doctor is how I should make that decision. Um, Not because Governor Hochul, Governor Hochul, who I've never met and don't think she would like me very much if she did meet me. Tells me that I need it to go eat a cheeseburger somewhere. I mean, it's insane. It's in, like it's it's totally insane. I thought I think it was always insane to have to show medical records at the door, like have some bouncer look at your medical records at the door of a bar. I thought that was always insane. But now that even the whole reasoning that they said for this completely has fallen apart. How is this still something that's being discussed? This comment that you just made about probably not getting along with the governor sparked another thought. And sorry for this tangent, but I saw, I think it was Politico had the story somewhat recently about how The View is trying to find a conservative woman to replace Meghan McCain. They're having trouble. And it's like this, they're trying to find a unicorn that would be acceptable to their host and their audience. And you were mentioning the story because I guess they kind of wanted you and you just said, no, thank you. I'm very happy at Fox with Greg on the Gutfeld show, all the things. Uh, Also, they didn't treat your friend, Megan, very well, and yeah. she's talked about that. She's written about that. So you're like, all of those things seem terrible to me. Thank you for your interest. Take care. My thing and- is I love coming to work. I, I, like it. I love working here. I love doing the Gutfeld Show. It's so much fun. <laughs> and that seems like it would be 
sort of soul-destroying in some ways. My soul also, does not I, need to be destroyed any further, I'll tell you that much. I have to admit, when I did imagine you <laughs> on The View, I laughed very hard. Because I don't think that would work for anyone. Like, I was trying to picture you just going off on, like, Joy or Hoopy, and... I got a kick out of it for like five seconds. I was like, nah, she made the right call here. Well, I'm also not a Republican, which is, you know, interesting. I mean, I'm I'm more, uh, you know, anti-government than Republicans are on some issues. And I'm more progressive than Democrats on other issues. I'm just like a, I'm, I, I say libertarian. I'm an anarchist. I say libertarian to keep this job, you know, because if I said anarchist, mm-hmm. I think I'd be fired, which is why I don't I'm, know we'll about go with fired, we'll go with liberty. We'll go with libertarian, small L yeah. libertarian. Okay. And that, I guess, they were at least uh, liberal curious with you, and you Everyone were not. Is. You were not view curious with them, <laughs> and I, that ended that. I, I, I'm so happy, and you know, with my current job, I'm so happy with it. You know, well, you should I mean, be because you're rocking it. The show's doing incredibly well. You're beating the big boys uh, on uh, like a regular basis every night, and you get to have like tons of editorial input every yes, single day. Yep. And the people that you work with don't actively hate you, which is a big plus. Yeah, believe it or not, Greg actually does not hate me. <laughs> yet? <laughs> not yet. I, I'm kind of shocked, but yeah, you know, it's, it's been like uh, seven years now, eight years now, and we're still friends, so. I have a, to- this is like, there's no segue here, just a completely different topic that I just remembered because we did it on Kennedy's show on the panel this week, and I filed it away in my brain saying, you know, we have Fridays with Cat coming up. I bet you she has a thought on this one. And the topic was, and it went totally off the rails on Kennedy's show. It was hilarious. I laughed out loud. She did an impression of a 140-year-old person, and it was fantastic. And she ended up uh, ranting about mashed potatoes as that old person. But the premise of the segment was some scientific article about how scientists are trying to figure out a way to have some medication or a pill that would extend the human lifespan to 150 years. So basically double it. And we were having this debate, would you want to live to be 150? And Am I, I wonder, hot Kat or not? Timf, well, okay, so give us, give us your thought process here on how you answer that question. Well, I'm completely agnostic. So I don't ha- I don't, there's no afterlife that I'm looking forward to. And, you know, according to some religions, that means I have an afterlife that I should not look forward to. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think I'd probably take it, which is, you know, usually... My, my approach yeah sure let's try it um yeah i would but then it's also like but am i gonna be am i gonna be ugly you know like am i not gonna be hot anymore like i'm already getting a little old to be considered hot because i'm a woman right um so that'd be tough i think Wait, maybe- when does the hotness stop right there when does hotness expire for women and what is that different than men Yes, it's different than men. I've already told Cam, I'm like, I already know and I already hate her. And he's like, who? I'm like, the younger woman you're going to leave me for in 10 years. Oh, God. Cat. <laughs> you like, say this to your husband already? Uh, of course I do. I say, I'm, so you, you I hate said, listen, this hypothetical I said, person. listen, babe, I am taking half and you're going to pay my attorney fees because you're going to be the one having the affair with this. You know, but you know what? Maybe she hasn't even, I say, I'll say, you know what? Maybe she hasn't even been born yet, babe. Maybe she hasn't been born yet. Well, then you've got some time at least. Yeah. And you know what? I, will, I told him I will drag him through the mud in the press. I will drag him through the mud. Yeah, this sounds like a very healthy conversation to be having. He just now, smiles and laughs. Says, okay, babe, I love you, babe. But let's rewind to the question of... I'll take I the pill. I, like, when, yeah. does, when does... Well, I'm rewinding less far than that. Okay, all right. Because in your process of answering the question, you said that you're already, and I, I dispute this hotly, but you're already getting 
to an older stage to be considered hot for a woman, and you're saying that that is... I mean, you're, you're still very young, A. B, there are very beautiful women who age very well and are beautiful for their whole oh, life. I'm going to get a massive boob job the day I turn 80. Huge. Just <laughs> 80? To, yeah, absolutely, because it'll be fresh. It'll be like, she can't be 80. That boob job looks fresh. Mm. Um, so I, I do have some plans in the works, guys. Yeah, you okay? got some big plans mm. in the future. Divorce, boob <laughs> job at 80. This is really, you're, you're really shooting for the stars here. You've got a lot ahead of you, Kat. It's so exciting. And you're saying that men stay hot longer or they no, get No, society hot believes, like, men are allowed to get older in society. You know, like, you see a lot of grandpas out there with really young women that they leave their first wives for. Um, but you don't see it in the reverse, really. Not as much. No. Well, maybe you... Why don't you change that? Super. Maybe, ma- I'm, I'm not getting the massive boob job at 80, so I can't be a mega cougar guy. I see what you're saying. Okay. So when you're 80 and you're on the prowl, you're long divorced, obviously, based on this life plan that you've laid I will out probably had a, one husband in between, but he'll be okay, like so a filler husband. You'll be looking so you'll be looking for your third and final, probably. <laughs> yes. Although, I don't know. If you go to 150, maybe you could have even more. But you're looking for your third and final. What's the age range that you're looking for at age 80 at that point in a man? Um, I'll say, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll you know, maybe like 21. <laughs> <laughs> college student. And no, a recent college graduate, trust fund kid. Oh, well, that I want to keep who, the income coming in. I'll be, re- yeah. well, I won't who be really re- wants an 80 year old. That, that should be an easy find for you. Well, men can do it. I'm breaking the glass ceiling. Mm. All right. All right. Let's see how that works out for you. I'm going to be, we've got a break. Yep. We've got a break. We'll be right back. One more question for you. It's about flight attendants and service on airplanes. You went off on Kennedy show about this. We need your thoughts as soon as we come back. Fridays with Cat, Guy Benson Show. Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show. We're back. It's the Guy Benson Show. It's the happy hour. And against our better judgment, we still have with us Cat Tim, our friend and colleague. <laughs> against Fox my News better judgment. A co host of Gutfeld Exclamation Point tonight at 11 every weeknight, 11 p.m. Eastern, Fox News Channel. I did catch one of your other rants recently on TV on Kennedy Show as well. It was about. I guess flight attendants are lobbying to have service reductions on flights to make the flying experience even more pleasant for the American people. And uh, you had a few things to say. Yeah. How they're making it worse. Like it's like it's already horrible. I wouldn't even fly anymore if New York wasn't also horrible. Okay, Um, (laughs) uh, we we were flying. We did. You know, we went to Michigan, me and my husband's Cam and Keith. And, um, you know, we took a clarify that one. Keith is our flower girl slash my best friend slash my brother. He's he's you know, he is a a gay man. So he's not. Yes. Um, It's not that kind of throuple, but it is a kind of throuple. Um, But anyway, we were just taking a nice family trip coming back. We were not we were drinking in the lounge, you know, because we're not stupid. And then we go on the plane and we're delayed for on the tarmac for like two hours because there's no pilot. There's no pilot. I'm sorry. That's pretty key. I think you knew there was no pilot before you loaded us on there with no Mm -hmm. drinks, with no drinks. We can't serve. I'm sorry. We can't serve drinks on the ground. Why not? You physically can. If you, you can physically, you physically, I'll serve myself. I'll serve myself drinks because now I'm getting hung over and I'm getting upset. Okay. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. I'm paying you guys. And that's I'm a paying catch you 22, guys. right? Like, is they don't want to let you off the plane because the pilot might show up at any moment, then you can leave. They're not allowed to serve you drinks while you're on the ground because of whatever regulation it might be. Because of crap. 
right? This goes back to your uh, your anarchist libertarian mentality. Just another regulation. Oh, but you I also can't get into the sky where they're allowed to serve you drinks because there's no pilot. And round and round we go. I'm starting my own airlines, but it's just the government. Like they control the airlines, but because that makes I me feel upset. Like your airline would be extremely party unsafe. bro airlines. Okay, party bro airlines. There's no, there's a few seats, not a lot of seats. There is a dance floor. Okay, you can vape. No cigs, no cigs. But anything, what you know, weed, nicotine. You want to vape, you can vape. Uh, drinks all the time. Okay, it's it's open bar for everybody, not just first class. Drinks all the time. First class. Uh, maybe they get like top shelf liquor or something like that. Well, how about this? Once you find your third husband to bankroll this, let me know, and maybe we can find a second sponsor of the happy hour. It can be Party Bro Airlines and the Finnish Laundry. Would you not maybe fly Party out. Bro Airlines? <sighs> I might. With all due respect, I might stick with you. We have the best pilots, though. We make yeah, sure well, we have the best pilots. The pilots, the pilots aren't drinking; just everyone else is. Okay. <laughs> I would hope not. Cat Tim, we got to leave it there. Uh, Fox News contributor Scott Felton, not <laughs> Do eleven not p.m. Sigh. You invited I'm, me. I know. I'm I know here. that. That's why I'm sighing at myself. Okay, I'm right. not sighing at you. What'd you think you and were going to get? It's the same every time. It's 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 the thing is it's the same but different, which is why we keep doing it. <laughs> and we will have you again very soon, friend. Thanks for doing it. Have a great weekend. Oh, she has no response to have a great weekend. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I hope you have a wonderful weekend as well, Mr. Benson. <laughs> we'll be right back. It's the Guy Benson Show. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. Happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. Jesse Tarloff, our friend, joined us earlier in the program. A lot to get to with her, including new motherhood, new announcements about her career. A lot of fun. With Jessica Tarloff, here's part of that conversation. Jesse, it's great to have you back. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I have to start here by congratulating you. I saw, number one, that you had baby Cleo on the air the other day, introducing Cleo to the audience, to your co-hosts, and they are now officially your co-hosts, as Fox announced that you are formally, at this point, one of the rotating libs on the five in a more official capacity. So that's exciting, and congratulations on all of the things. Thank you. It's a... A good extra title, and I'm thrilled to be uh, part of a team that has definitely figured out some sort of magic sauce um, in terms of keeping people in their seats for it. And um, it's wonderful working with Harold Ford Jr. and Geraldo um, on holding down the liberal seat fort, as it were. Um, so, yeah, excitement all around. How old now is young Cleo? She's five weeks tomorrow. Okay. How is week five of motherhood? I just, we just need updates from you here. It's good. I mean, it's, it's exhausting, like in a deep emotional way, even if you get enough sleep. And I, I actually have been getting what is technically enough sleep. Um, but there's a lot swirling around with all of it. And, you know, when they say things like, oh, you know, you feed them every three hours, it, it takes like 90 minutes essentially to do a feed and then the burp resting. And then if you're going to do tummy time, these are all things that you'll learn about the tummy time stuff and whatever, if you decide to jump into fatherhood and it's, uh, it's a lot, it, <laughs> but it's great. And it she's does very sound cute like a lot. Sweet. Are you able to keep yeah, up with the news and everything? Like, are you 
feeding the baby and then like on your Twitter feed or like, how are you juggling this stuff? I'm definitely paying attention, but not, not as closely, obviously, since I don't have to be accountable for a real opinion as to politics. I do know that it looks like voting rights is uh, not happening and that, Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema, Kirsten, I should say, uh, are holding tight to their filibuster uh, stances. But well, I mean, when I you say voting rights isn't happening, have... what the Democrats want to do isn't happening. I mean, people will still have the right to vote in this country. But I, I guess the the broad question I would have, since you're not necessarily in the weeds while on maternity leave, and this is maybe the sense of of how you're feeling and you know how much news you're getting, would you say this was a good week for the Biden administration? I did happen to see Kamala Harris's interview with Craig Melvin. <laughs> oh, did you? That's what you were getting at? Oh, it was one yeah, of no. one of several things I was going to get at, actually. But, but go on. <laughs> no, that that clip did make it uh, to tummy time, and <laughs> it was bad. And uh, I was not unhappy that I wasn't the one sitting on the side this week. We'll talking about, in fact, just just in case, just to make sure we're talking about the same. <laughs> The same question and answer there were because there there were multiple things that you might be referring to in that interview. To me, my favorite one that we played several times yesterday was cut fourteen here. At what point does the administration say, you know what, this strategy isn't working? We're going to change strategies. Six former administration officials last week wrote that open letter urging the administration to change course, to change strategy. Is it time? It is time for us to do what we have been doing and that time is every day (laughs) every day it is time for us to agree that there are things and tools that are available to us to slow this thing down and so right now we know we still have a number of people that that is in the millions of americans and and on she goes uh jesse it is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Can I stitch that onto a pillow for you? Maybe give that I think to you as a baby gift. It on a pillow. You could do it across like a like a king size bed duvet. Um, could I say the time is now for me to not answer this question? Um, <laughs> and that time is every day. <laughs> and it happens every day. Um, it was. It wasn't good. I mean, I think that this is obviously is part of a, a pattern that it seems that she's not properly prepared for big interviews. And this was a quote unquote friendly, right? I mean, this is on NBC. Um, it wasn't like a, it didn't feel like even a really hard ball question considering the fact no, that it's a, we're it's an obvious, a easy nationwide question. test. Exactly. And I think that the news about the test that came out today that we can all sign online to get test delivered to us, but it takes seven to 12 days. You're done. Seven to 12 days. If you had it, you're recovered. (laughs) First of all. My full interview with Jesse Tarloff available online. The entire show is free every day on the podcast. No charge on demand around the clock. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, we've got some stories about, spouses here at the show christine and i we will share with the class when we come back for the full interview and more go to guybensonshow.com
home stretch on the Guy Benson Show. It is Friday. Oh, the weekend. Right around the corner. Just a few minutes to go here. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcast is always free. At Guy Benson Show. That's our handle. Twitter and Instagram. So, a brief story that my husband experienced yesterday. We are out at the shore at our friend's house. And they recently moved, so we're sort of occasionally checking in on their house. And it's beautiful here, so they very kindly let us stay for a couple nights. So we're out here, and I'm doing the show from here. I'm actually looking at the water right now. Just a stunningly beautiful view. I've been posting some of the photos on my Instagram, Guy P. Benson. And thanks to the amazing technology of radio, I can just do the show here from time to time. That's what I've done. So... One of the questions that our friends, this is their house, what they had for us when we arrived was, is there any way you can mail us to our new address some paint? I guess they had a small can of paint that they needed for some reason. So Adam very kindly drove down to the uh, post office in town and was going to mail the paint. And he looked up. On his phone, like on the official website of the U.S. Postal Service, if you're allowed to mail paint, he found the rules. The answer is yes. Okay, all good. So he goes to the post office yesterday. He has already a package, and he's going to put the package within a package. And they ask the question, are there any liquids or this or that? And he said, yes, there's paint. And the person says, oh, we can't mail paint. And he was sort of confused by it. And he said, well, I thought that you could. And the person said, nope, can't mail the paint. You can go to UPS. You can go to some of our competitors, but we're not allowed to do that. So that was sort of confusing. He decided not to really argue very much, had a few other errands to do. And then in the town over, there's another post office. So he decided, look, I'm just going to answer the question differently if they ask me the same question, because I see on their website that you are allowed to mail paint. This other person was wrong. I'm just going to go and mail this thing to our friends one town over. So he shows up, and he's going through the whole process again, and the person asks him, is it this, is it that? He says, nope, we're all good. The person then sort of shakes the package a little bit and says, no, we can't mail this. This is paint. And he was so confused. Like, how on earth can you possibly know it's paint? The other post office, the person called the next town over suspecting that he might try to mail it elsewhere to preemptively block him from doing so and telling the next post office, if this guy comes in, he might try to mail paint. Don't let him do it. I cannot believe that you had a, an employee of the Postal Service who had that much time on their hands, was even that motivated to make this phone call to block him from doing the thing that the website specifically says he's allowed to do. So at this point, he decided that he was going to put up a fight. And he pulled up their website, and he read verbatim from the website to this woman, and she was not happy that he was making this case. She was not perhaps the most motivated uh, professional that he'd ever encountered, apparently. And, I mean, look, so, you know, government worker... Sometimes the stereotypes fit. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they do. And in this case, it did. So he makes the case. She's then going to get on the phone. She's not happy that she has to make the call. She's verifying on the website. And it turns out he's just absolutely right. Like, it's just in black and white. 
So eventually, begrudgingly, she lets him mail the paint. But she's making it very clear that she's unhappy about all of it. You better believe he took the tracking option. Because he's like, this paint will never go. Like, she'll throw it right in the water. Out of spite, potentially. He was worried about that because of this conversation. He was being polite. And he's a polite, cheerful person. He said at the end, because she was sort of grumbling under her breath, and he just said, not passive-aggressively, just like, well, I guess we all learned something today. And she was not happy with that. She said, I don't want to learn anything today. I just want to go home. Like, all right, points for honesty. So PSA, you're allowed to mail paint, apparently. And don't let them tell you otherwise. I still can't believe that one post office called the next one anticipating the possibility. I wonder how many other post offices in the area this person called. Like, how inconvenient were they going to try to make it for him? And it'd be one thing, like, very officious and ridiculous, even if they weren't allowed to mail paint. To me, it's especially bad because they were wrong in their assessment here. All right, that's my story of my spouse for the day. But he prevailed. The paint is in the mail, gentlemen. Meanwhile, Christine, you've had an interesting experience involving your husband and a bit of a miscommunication, it sounds like. Yeah, so we are still not sure if we sold our house. Uh, The buyers are taking their sweet time deciding if they are accepting, you know, our counter or not. But in the meantime, I guess background searches are being done. And my husband, apparently... His name is pretty popular in the state of New Jersey. And uh, on his record right now are three things that have nothing to do with him, but it's halting us from doing anything further because he has to clear it up. One of them being that he owes child support. So uh, right away. Wait, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm sort of confused by this story. He needs to do a background check. You both do as a Mm -hmm. part of the uh, house-selling process, and there have been three red flags on his name during the background check, but it's not him, apparently. It's people in New Jersey who have his same name, first and last, that have cropped up in the background check and are delaying things. Correct, correct. Okay. Uh, there, There are three, and they're all three separate people, Bobby would be the fourth, but uh, showing up on his, you know, background search. And one of them has to do with uh, child support. Another has to do with some sort of um, bankruptcy issues. And another thing has to do with some credit cards or things that uh, someone didn't pay. And it's all getting hit back on Bobby. Are you sure it's not him? Is he is he a deadbeat dad with a secret family who's in deep debt? I'm not kidding. I did call his mother up in Massachusetts. And I said, um, Kathy, what is happening here? Are there things that I need to know? And she made a good point because all the hits that came up were in the past 10 years or so. And she said, darling, he has been yours for the past 10 years. <laughs> this is on you to figure out. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, why would she know? Why would you call his mom? Because I call his mom for everything. Mm, Whatever I'm mad at him or anything, I always call his mother. Sometimes I call his mother more than I call my own mother. What a joy that must be for her. But go on. So she said she was not aware that he had fathered anybody, uh, you know, that, that he, and I, oh, I'm not a Megan. stepmother. 
Exactly, exactly. Although people do question that because people say Megan looks nothing like Bobby and 100% like me. Well, she looks so 100% like, like you, but that doesn't preclude him being the father. Yeah, if you, if you spoke to her for 10 minutes, you would know she's all Bobby. So now we have this hurdle to go through. Bobby did respond back. He did have to initial each uh, charge and say, nope, nope, that's not me. That's not me. And now uh, I think they're going to, our lawyer said that they might have to do a little further. I'm just confused how this works in the state of New Jersey. Or is, is this like typical elsewhere too? If anyone that has the same name as you has done something problematic, it shows up when they search you. Like shouldn't, shouldn't the computer system not make that mistake? That's like, what if your name is Bob Smith? Or, you know, right. you know, if your name is John Anderson or something like that, how many John Andersons would have credit history problems or, you know, owing this or owing taxes or owing child support or, you know, criminal charges or convictions? It seems like that is a huge, huge loophole or problem in the system. I 100% agree. I mean, I I had a panic attack, of course. I'm sure you're not surprised when this all came through because I'm thinking, oh, my God, Bobby's going to jail. <laughs> like, that's where my, you know, catastrophic thinking goes. Um, and when we talked to the lawyer, they didn't seem that upset about it, you know, like worried. They're like, all right, well, we have to get this, you know, straightened out. But I said to Bobby, how long has this been on your record for? What if we had tried to go for a loan recently or, you know, this could have been problematic? So uh, we're waiting to hear further instruction of what needs to happen next. But I just want to point out. Well, maybe he could just maybe he could just write a check to his secret wife and that'll be over with. <laughs> I just want to point out how happy I was because when the email came in and said, hey, just want to let you know, this is the issue we're having when we ran your background check. The first thing I thought is, please don't be me. Please don't be me. Please don't be me. What did I do? <laughs> You're just happy. It's Bobby. You're like all three of them. You're three for three. Oh. I'm oh for three. Yeah, it literally said under my name, like, nothing. There's no issues whatsoever. I'm like, oh, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's because, <laughs> listen, we know, Svetlana, we know that you've changed your identity. After you were a Kremlin agent aerobics champion, of course it would be that your government works very hard to make sure that it would come back clean. So that makes sense. In, in fact, oh. it would be a strike against my theory that you're a spy if you did have problems in your background check because they would never, the Ruskies would never allow that. You have to be clean. What, what if my people did this on purpose? What if they put this all on Bobby? Like this was planted. Mm -hmm. I mean, many people are asking that question across America right now. Many people. I'm just many, yeah, many people are asking that question right now. Well, we've had we've had an interesting hour talking about spouses, haven't we? Starting with Cat Timp. <laughs> that was something. <laughs> And then uh, Adam's mailing paint story suddenly sounds more like watching paint dry. That's much less exciting and insane than the other stuff. The reason I decided to tell that story, Christine, was I cannot believe a postal employee called other offices to try to <laughs> shut him out. Part. What is that? Part. That's like that's like Newman from Seinfeld. That's the type of thing oh. Newman would do. I wish we had a camera on Adam when, when he got there. They're like, they told him, nope, we heard about you. Yeah, you had to come home and it. have a glass of wine. A dry January, oh, not a thing. Wine. Not a thing here. It oh. is Friday. It is the weekend. We are out of time. Back here Monday for a brand new week on The Guy Benson Show. Can't wait for that. But in the meantime, have a safe, relaxing weekend. Bonus Benson, of course. 
GuyBensonShow.com. You can cast that on the podcast. But we will talk to you on Monday. Good night. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.